Today we're reaching the last talk in our series looking at the wonderful Hebrew word hesed. I hope over the last few weeks that you've been encouraged as we've thought about the astonishing kindness of God. As we wrap up this series today, I want to make one final point and it's simply this. The astonishing kindness of God is contagious and in a better way than COVID. What I mean by that is that of all the people in all the world, in all of history, it is the people of God who know his astonishing kindness, who have the greatest reason to be kind. Those who have received God's kindness will be transformed by it and naturally overflow with that same kindness to other people. What I'd like to do today is focus on the teaching of Jesus in the Gospels and for us to hear the one who is the embodiment of kindness to us, calling us out of ourselves to the same radical kindness towards others that he has. Here's how I want to come at this then. Let's ask the question this way. What are the things that Jesus says will stop us from catching his kindness. I want us to look briefly at three different passages in the Gospels where I think Jesus is massively conscious of this concept of hesed that we've been looking at. And I hope we'll hear something of the heart of Jesus teaching us this afternoon. The first passage that I'd like us to turn to is in Matthew chapter 9 and verses 9 to 13. So let's turn there first and see the first thing Jesus shows us is the danger of us having a sense of moral superiority. As Jesus walks along here in this passage, he comes to a tax collector's desk and he simply says to the tax collector, follow me. And the guy does. And this same guy then later throws a massive banquet for all of his friends with Jesus as the guest of honour. To get the kind of punch of this, we have to understand that tax collectors were despised as greedy, self-serving and parasitic. They grew rich at the expense of the poor by extorting from them more than was required by their superiors in order to line and fill their own pockets. Tax collectors were Jews who were basically seen as traitors because they were collecting taxes for the Romans from their own countrymen and growing wealthy by exploiting them while they did so. And on top of all that, they were considered to be religiously impure as well because they were dealing with Gentiles too and handling their money. Tax collectors were generally viewed as the scumbags in Jewish society in Jesus's day. Verse 11 tells us that the Pharisees, this religious group, asked the disciples of Jesus what on earth he thought he was doing. For Jesus to share a meal with such people was tantamount to accepting and welcoming them. Some of the Pharisees felt that their job was to keep their community pure. 
some of them even taught that God made a mistake when he created Gentiles and so their whole lives were dominated by this idea of pushing outsiders away get out but Jesus here turns everything upside down because rather than pushing outsiders away he seems to want to gather them in this little meal in Matthew chapter 9 it, it almost becomes a picture of the gospel itself Jesus here is driven by mercy not merit it seems like no one is too despicable for Jesus and he simply doesn't care what the Pharisees think or what barriers they want to build to keep outsiders out. Jesus reaches out to those who would be considered the dregs of society and he says to them, follow me. The totally unworthy are graced by the presence of Christ because these are the people that he came to love and to save. And Jesus will not allow a mistaken sense of moral superiority to hinder his mission. So here Jesus responds in two parts. First of all, you'll see that in verse 12, he says in response that it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Jesus, Jesus's own perception of his mission is that he has come to save the lost, to fill the empty, to forgive the guilty and to transform those who have given up. The problem here is that the Pharisees don't realise that they themselves are sick too. But secondly, Jesus gives them some homework. Go and learn what this means, Jesus says. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Now this is a quote the Pharisees will have known well because it comes from the Old Testament. It comes from the book of Hosea, chapter 6 and verse 6. And in this passage, God is pleading with his people. And the word mercy that God uses in this verse is our word hesed. God says to his people, I love hesed, not sacrifice. The problem in their day was that the people were full of religious fervour. They were doing all the right things, but it was all a front. God was interested in the motives of their hearts and could see through their hypocrisy. And God rebukes them in Hosea because their religious activity was strong, but their love was fragile. God says to them that your love vanishes like the morning fog. God was saying to them, you know how to be religious, but you're using your religion to look down on other people and you've forgotten how to be kind. I think this idea must have been filling the heart of Jesus because he says the exact same thing later for a different reason in Matthew chapter 12 too. The second reason that Jesus highlights 
that can stop us from being kind is when we put religious rules before actually caring for the needy. On this occasion, Jesus' disciples were hungry. And as they're walking in the field, they pick some corn and eat it. Jewish laws actually allowed for the poor to glean corn around the edges of a field. And, and this was a good law because it meant that landowners were not to be tight and to selfishly account for every single ear of corn, but to remember to be generous. And it meant too that the poor always had something to eat. The problem on this day was nothing to do with that though. The scandal here was that Jesus' disciples did this on the Sabbath. And the issue here is not the good sense of having a Sabbath day of rest. It's one of the Ten Commandments. But the centuries of complex oral traditions that had been passed down the generations trying to define what counted as work or not. They tied themselves up in knots over years with reams and reams of additional clarifications. So what you have here is this image of the Pharisees nitpicking. It is as if they're on high alert, looking through their binoculars, waiting to pounce on people who break not God's good laws, but their human traditions. This is like a gotcha moment. Would you look at that? How can this man Jesus claim to be a good teacher when he allows his disciples to harvest corn on the Sabbath day? But of course, their binoculars are broken. What they can't see is a group of hungry men. All they can see are violations of their religious stipulations. In verse seven then, Jesus basically says, did you not do the homework that I set you? If you had known what God meant in Hosea, when he said, I love hesed, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. Into the bargain, Jesus then also takes their dearest theological orthodoxy, the Sabbath, and tells them that he is Lord over it. Basically, Jesus is saying, your rules are not king, I am. Which must have made them furious. Look at verse 14. Their response in the end was to go out and plot how they might kill him. It doesn't sound very kind, but it underlines how angry they were and sometimes how, how angry we can get when Jesus points out that they care more about their own rules than they do about actually caring for the needy around them. We've looked at these first two incidents because in both of them, Jesus himself quotes the same Old Testament passage where the word hesed is used. But the third passage I want us to look at is the famous story Jesus told of the Good Samaritan. 
we can find it in Luke chapter 10. And I, I, I want to go here because this passage too refers indirectly to hesed. As you, as you know now, hesed is a Hebrew word, but the New Testament wasn't written in Hebrew, it was written in Greek. So the word hesed obviously doesn't appear directly anywhere in the New Testament. However, 250 years before Jesus was born, the Hebrew Old Testament was translated into Greek. This was apparently worked on by 70 scholars. And so the Greek version of the Hebrew Old Testament became known as the Septuagint. It's Latin for 70. So with our Sherlock Holmes heads on, we do actually know how the Hebrew word hesed that appears in the Old Testament was translated into Greek. And in the overwhelming majority of cases, the Greek word that they landed on to translate the word hesed was the word mercy. This is quite brilliant because mercy is when someone doesn't treat us as we deserve to be treated. When someone shows us mercy, they're loving us unconditionally in spite of ourselves. Mercy is kindness that is undeserved, which as we've seen, is exactly what Hasad is. So when you read the word mercy in the New Testament, you know now that it smells like Hasad. So the story of the Good Samaritan it's very interesting because this is a story that Jesus tells in response to a slightly naughty question. An expert in the Jewish law comes to Jesus essentially to trip him up. This guy is also a scholar who probably knows the Old Testament off by heart. And he does ask a great question, but he's asking it with a bad attitude. His question essentially is one that rabbis debated. How does someone make it to heaven? But in this case, the guy comes to Jesus and, and his attitude is, Jesus, you've set yourself up as a teacher. But what's the deal? You, you seem quite popular. But how does your teaching square with our orthodox centuries old Judaism? Moses we know, our Jewish history we understand, we're proud of who, who we are. What I want to know Jesus is, who the heck are you? And this is a critical public moment in Jesus's ministry because if Jesus says anything here that contradicts the God-given Old Testament scriptures, this man will condemn him as a heretic. But if Jesus agrees with the Old Testament, this man's going to simply dismiss Jesus as irrelevant and say, well, what have you got that we haven't already got? In other words, this man is seeking to either expose or ridicule Jesus. He isn't asking because he really wants to know. He's checking Jesus's credentials so that he can dismiss him as a crackpot. And so Jesus it's a dangerous thing to go into bat against Jesus. Jesus brilliantly turns this around and basically says, you're the expert, what do you think? 
And the guy responds by giving a solid answer. This expert in the law sums up the whole of the Old Testament with two commands. Love God and love your neighbour. But then Jesus says, you're the expert more than anyone. You should know how to live, so get on with it. Jesus gently does surgery on this man's bad attitude by getting him to publicly admit what his own religion, that he's an expert in, actually demands of him. Go and do it. This man's now feeling a little bit hot under the collar, but he also doesn't know when to quit. And Luke tells us in verse 29, the man wanted to justify himself. And so he asks, who is my neighbour? Who's my neighbour? So Jesus then tells this famous story. A man is attacked on a dangerous, rocky mountain pass. And he's wounded by robbers, robbers and left for dead. Two religious officials then basically pass him by on the opposite side of the road. They don't want to compromise their ritual purity by touching a possible bloody corpse. And who knows, maybe the robbers are still around. It's not clean and it's not safe. And more than that, this guy looks like he's probably going to die anyway. What difference can I make? And then thirdly, a Samaritan comes along. The Samaritans were hated by the Jews. So this, this already feels that it's the wrong way around. But this man tenderly bandages this guy's wounds with healing creams. And he carefully lifts the man onto his own donkey and walks him down this dangerous pass to a hotel where he then pays his bills and promises to come back and settle the final total. This is like courageous kindness for someone who's not even one of his own kind. Now Jesus turns to this man and asks him a question. Which one of these three characters was a neighbour to the wounded victim? <laughs> In other words, you're thinking about others. Who is my neighbour? In other words, what can I get away with? Surely I don't have to love everyone because some people obviously don't deserve it. And if they don't deserve it, it's probably their fault. Who is my neighbour is a question of who, who, who can I avoid? But Jesus makes him think not about who qualifies as his neighbour, but whether he himself qualifies as a good neighbour to other people. And this expert in the law, this expert in the law, looks down at the ground and can't even bring himself to say the word Samaritan. And he spits out the most incredible answer. It was the one who showed him chesed.
mercy, undeserved compassion and kindness. And Jesus very simply says to this man, go and do the same. Our question then was, what stops us from being kind according to Jesus? And we've highlighted three things here. When we think that we're better than others, when we obsess over religion and fail to see the needs of others that are staring us in the face, when we don't want the inconvenience of getting our hands dirty, our schedules being messed up. All these religious people knew the right answers. They were no doubt considered to be respectable citizens, but all of them had forgotten the Hesed of God. And somehow, because of that, they'd become blind to the brokenness of outsiders and the hunger all around them, and they failed to care for wounded victims. They made excuses by blaming the other. It obviously isn't me who's being unkind, it's all the fault of others who are unworthy of my kindness. As we draw this series to a close then, I want you to see again, first of all, from all of this, the beauty of God's astonishing kindness shown to you in Jesus. The first point I want to make is that he is the glorious opposite of everything we've been talking about. That's why he sees it and nails it and calls it. Even though he is superior, he never uses his power to exploit. But he humbly enters our world, even taking on our human flesh. I saw a great quote this week that said this, the safest place for ships is in the harbour, but that's not why ships were built. The safest place for ships is in the harbour, but that's not why ships were built. The safest place for Jesus would have been to stay in heaven, but that isn't who he is. He sets sail. He comes, he rolls up his sleeves, he enters our fray, he fights for us, and he doesn't come to condemn or exclude or to push away, but to gather in even his enemies, to welcome and to forgive and to heal and to transform. And neither is Jesus blind to the hunger of human hearts, and neither does Jesus despise wounded victims in his great hesed. He comes to save us who have not shown hesed. Because of God's hesed incarnate in Jesus, we sinners 
blessed. And this astonishing kindness is totally contagious. When you know it, you will show it. So let me close. Let me close today and close our series with one of the most remarkable things that Jesus ever said. Jesus repeatedly told his followers to love even their enemies. And do you know what the greatest reason he could give for this command was and still is? It is that God shows, shows hesed to his enemies. It's contagious. In Luke chapter 6, we read these words. Jesus says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. And here is the radical truth. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High. You will be children of the Most High. Why? Because He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Don't be a ship that stays safe in the harbour. Be like Jesus and set sail. May we be a people. May we be a church. May we be a community who know and trust and enjoy the astonishing kindness of God shown to us in Jesus and may it be contagious as we go out opening our hearts to other people and spreading his kindness wherever we are.